0: To be or not to be. It's from the introduction from Hamlet, a decision to live or to die. Similarly in The Matrix, Keanu Reeves' character, Neo, is in a fork in the road as well. A blue pill, go back to sleep. Or the red pill, you go deeper into the rabbit hole and Morpheus offers him the blue pill and the red pill And all he's offering is the truth. In both these situations, there's a choice to be made, a choice between life and death. And in today's passage, that same offer is made by Jesus to live or to die. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And as you turn there, I want to give you a bit of context and a bit of background on the book of Matthew and It's called the Gospel According to Matthew, and there's four Gospels. There's one Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's four authors here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are the first four books of the New Testament. And Matthew, he was a disciple of Jesus, and it's an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ. And one of the major themes that he wants to show us is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, the first 39 books is the Old Testament, and you could think of it as promises made. And you can think of the New Testament as promises kept. And so Matthew is kind of in this juncture of all the promises that were made in the Old Testament. Matthew wants to show the fulfillment is Jesus Christ, particularly that Jesus is the King. And throughout this book, actually Matthew, he's uh, writing the most amount of Jesus' teaching in terms of sermons is recorded in Matthew. And we're actually going to see today the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most famous sermons that Jesus uh, preached in chapters 5 to 7. And we're going to hone in at the end of that Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. And uh, if you are there with me, we're going to start from verse 13 to The end. So follow along with me in your Bibles. Matthew 7, verse 13 to the rest. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. and not as their scribes. The main point of this passage and the main point of this sermon is obey Jesus and live. Obey Jesus and live. And we're going to look at, in our first main point, the call to obedience. The call to obedience. And if you're taking notes, we're going to first look at what is the call to obedience. So if you go back to verse 13 with me, we see Jesus, he gives the call which is, in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. And he paints this picture of two gates, two ways, and two destinations. Uh, Let's look at the first one in verse 13. Uh, Of the first entrance, we see a wide gate, a wide entrance. And this wideness is in reference to the spaciousness, the roominess, the openness of this gate. And it leads to a path, a path that's easy. It's an it's easy path. It's a comfortable, cozy, and not dangerous path. Many enter this way. And Jesus, in his illustration here, this leads to destruction. And then in the second scenario, we see the narrow gate. This is the gate that Jesus wants his disciples to enter by, and it's this narrow gate, it's cramped, it's difficult. And this path is hard. Only a few enter this path. But look with me, the goal, it's, it's the way that leads to life. Just to be clear, Jesus, he is not teaching a seminar on decision making. He's not teaching a seminar on a decision tree that if you're between two options, you pick the harder one. So, for example, he's not teaching that if you have to decide between two job offers, you pick the harder one. That is not what Jesus is saying. This is not some slogan or a nice little slogan. Jesus is teaching that this call to obedience is a call to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's a call to enter life in the kingdom. And from this verse alone, we're not quite crystal clear on what this gate is. However, If we examine the rest of Scripture and actually Matthew, we see that this narrow gate is Jesus himself. You don't have to turn there with me, but in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is asking the same question. How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, 29, says that everyone who leaves what they have for my name's sake, Jesus' name, will receive life. John also references kind of this entering in John chapter 10, verse 9. He references himself as the door. And if anyone enters by Jesus, he will be saved. John 14, 6 says the same thing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this context here in Matthew 7, Jesus is saying that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's by Jesus Christ. Alone. And if you know yourself to not be a Christian, do you see that Jesus is claiming just two paths? There is the wide path. That is everything. All, all paths lead to God. All religion basically says the same thing. That is all the same path. Buddhism, Jehovah's Witness, all of that, one path. And the end of that is destruction. Destruction. The narrow path is an exclusive claim. Jesus is the way, the only way. Now hear me clearly, this is an exclusive call to obedience. However, it is inclusive of all people. It's inclusive of all people to repent and believe and trust Jesus. This is a call to obedience, to obey Jesus. That's the call to obedience. But what is the cost of this call? Well, look again with me in verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. And Jesus is saying that this road is difficult. And he even further says, those who find it are few. And Jesus is using this hyperbolic language to say that this is not the popular path. The wide gate, many enter it. Only the few enter the narrow. It's a path that, to follow Jesus is a is a call to die to self. It's uncomfortable. It's a call to pick up your cross and follow him. Fellow Christian, just to remind you, Jesus is saying you must count the cost of what it looks like to follow and obey him. And this path that Jesus calls you to walk through, it's a, it's a path of persecution. It's difficult. It's hard. And in the immediate context here in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 10, actually you could turn there with me. (coughs) Jesus warns his disciples of this difficulty. Chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus in, in the beginning of the sermon says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But what do they receive? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The next verse, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In the immediate Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very clear. This road to follow Jesus and obey Jesus is difficult. Persecution will come. In the context of Matthew, Jesus is saying the same thing in Matthew 10. You don't need to turn there with, uh, with me, but Jesus says that he, you will experience persecution and hardship because of Jesus. And Jesus Himself, as He goes to the cross, experiences this persecution as He dies on the cross. This same teaching is echoed in the New Testament, that we see warnings in the Book of Acts, where the church's uh, birth that persecution follows the church. Why? Because of Jesus. We see Stephen stone for following Jesus. We see in First Peter, First uh, Peter four twelve, to not be surprised when suffering and persecution comes. James 1 also says that we will experience trials of various kinds. <clears throat> friends, this life of obedience to Jesus is one of persecution. This call is costly. <clears throat> in my own life, after I became Christian in high school, my dance crew friends, they would ask me why I wouldn't practice with them on the weekends. And, and I told them that I became a Christian and I I'm, I'm wanted to learn more about Jesus at church. And I'm being discipled at church. And they would laugh at me and mock me for wasting my time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, many of you guys know this this call to obedience is difficult. It's hard. And some of you may be discouraged. Perhaps some of you are on the cusp of giving up. Some of you may be discouraged here with this call to obedience. But... Remember Remember the goal of this call. It's a, the goal is it leads to, to life. Following Jesus, yes, Jesus calls you to obey him, but it, this same Jesus is the one who provides life in the kingdom. It's a call to enter into relationship with the Father. In, in chapter 6, we see many times that Jesus is referencing, uh, when you pray, you pray, our Father in heaven. We see that the father who sees in secret will reward you. We see in Matthew 6 again that the, the, the father knows and he gives good things to those who ask him. It's a call to enter relationship. But this kingdom, it's also a call to enter into the provision and protection of the king. And this protection, we see again in Matthew 6 that God cares for all the needs of his people, the citizens of all his people people god provides so it's this call to enter life into the kingdom into relationship with the father and also to the provision and protection of the king along with the peace and security all purchased by jesus on his death on the cross do you see that entering this kingdom of heaven it comes with all that jesus offers This is a call to trust and obey Jesus because it is he that holds you fast. Not only do we see Jesus calls us to obey, but in our second point, we see Jesus, he clarifies who are the obedient. So in our main point, second main point, we see marks of obedience, marks of obedience. And we're going to see two groups of people. We see the false obedience and the true obedience. So we're going to look first at the false obedience. So if you look with me at verse 15, beware of false teaching. Beware of false teaching. So verse 15, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus, he warns, his disciples, false prophets, these false teachers, they're going to come. And first, these false prophets, these false teachers, they're false because of what they're teaching. Their teaching is false. The, content, the message that they're teaching is wrong. But, and look with me in the second half of verse 15, the, the means of which are how they come. They, they come to you in sheep's clothing. It's kind of the sneaky way that they come and enter. They look like sheep but certainly the message is not true. And and look uh, look with me as well. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They're out to get the sheep. So they're going to, on appearances, look very nice. They may be appealing. Personality is good. But on the inside, they're out to lead the sheep astray. They're hungry to devour the sheep. And this warning is echoed in the New Testament as well. all throughout the New Testament we see uh, in Jude the passage that Oscar will preach Lord willing next week talks all about these false teachers how they creep in unnoticed ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ that's Jude 4 we also see this again in 2 Peter 2.1 false prophets they come out among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies bringing about destruction. And again, 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Friends, these false teachers, they, they come in, they're sneaky, but they're, they're, they're trying to lead the sheep astray. And these false teachers, they're present today. And just to name a few, we see the prosperity gospel teaching where you believe Jesus and you will receive material blessing like money and possessions. That's wrong. That is false. Jesus says beware of that. Uh, Secondly, we see kind of this carnal Christianity where Jesus can be your savior but not your Lord and that Jesus is a license for you to sin. Jesus says to that beware, be on guard. And so Jesus commands the church to be guardians of this truth. And it's kind of like Little Red Riding Hood going to see Grandma. And and Little Red Riding Hood, she notices a few different things, right? Grandma, your your voice is a little odd. And Grandma's replying back, oh, just just, I have a little sickness and a little cold. And the little girl notices, Grandma, your ears are, are big. And grandma said, oh, all all to hear you better with. And then the little girl notices, oh, what big teeth you have. She's starting to notice this is not grandma. And then finally, she realizes, help, wolf, wolf. This is not grandma. This is a wolf. In that same way, Jesus is calling us as citizens of his kingdom to guard and protect the truth particularly the gospel message. And this call is not for just the leaders of the church or the elders of the church, although they primarily lead in this. But in Galatians 1, we see that Paul tells the church that if anybody preaches a wrong gospel, they are to be a curse. It's, it's the church's responsibility. Every member has a responsibility to protect this message, this truth. Uh, practically, I hope a good exercise for you to guard this truth is to be able to preach the gospel in 60 seconds or less. Uh, If we're unable to do that, I hope we can grow in uh, our ability to guard the truth. Perhaps that might mean to pick up Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? Uh, Or even a gospel track, Two Ways to Live. And I hope we can be experts on guarding this truth, guarding the gospel. And we don't need to be experts on the false teaching, But we do need to be aware of false teaching. How? By guarding the truth. And Jesus says that these false teachers, they're going to come to you, who come to you in sheep's clothing. Uh, So this does not mean we need to be heresy hunters. So uh, some of you guys have known me in my first and second year of college, and there was this phase of my life that people have termed uh, Destructo PK. Uh, And that, that was my nickname, uh, because I had a zeal for truth and uh, a valiant for truth, but lacked love. And, and I was quick to attack, and frankly speaking, to my shame uh, that has hurt actually sheep and actual Christians. Uh, and my zeal that actually, I think, did damage to um, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but Jesus is calling us to be aware, to beware of false teaching and false teachers. <coughs> so that's our, our first uh, subpoint beware of false teaching. In uh, our second point, we see beware of false fruit. Beware of false fruit. And we see this in verse 15. And Jesus, he repeats himself multiple times. So anytime we're reading the Bible, and we see something repeated multiple times, you should have your ears open and say, must be very important. So if you look with me, you will recognize them by their fruits in verse 16. And he says the same thing. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits in verse 20. So listen listen up. Jesus is saying, warning, I'm going to tell you how to identify this false teaching and look at their fruit, look at their fruit. And so he starts with verse 16. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? The answer, no. Grapes are from grapevines. Second leaf, or figs from thistles? The answer is no. Figs grow from fig trees. In verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So obviously, apple trees are going to bear apples. Lemon trees are going to bear lemons. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So we see apple trees, they don't bear lemons. Lemon trees don't bear apples. So the conclusion, you're going to know who is a Christian and who is not by their fruit. And what is this fruit? Well, in this context, fruit, in regards to their character, uh, their, their life, We're looking at the person's uh, character and who they are. And this fruit is a reflection of what kind of tree you are. So to those who profess to know Jesus as Lord, I hope this is a sober reflection and examination. So I hope you guys... Reflect on yourself if there is fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and one of the helpful ways to do this is actually to uh, look at Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So write that down, Galatians 5, 16 to 26. And, and examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. And it talks about, Paul talks about in this passage, about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These are fruit of the Spirit, what marks a Christian, a mark, someone who is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also in that passage talks about what marks a non-Christian and its idolatry, sexual immorality, impurity, and it's this kind of a distinction of what is holy and what is sin. And I hope you utilize that passage to examine yourself if your profession matches your living. But praise God that this examination is not a private ordeal. It's not just kind of just myself and my own kind of assessment. But this fruit is a public ordeal. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. You see and inspect this. And uh, I I stole this illustration that the church is to be a fruit safety inspection co-op. That the church is able to identify and inspect each other's fruit. To see, is this person of Christ or not? And so there's, there's this distinction between the people of God in the church and the world. And I know many of us have been in churches where, frankly speaking, the church often looked like the world, divisive, living in sexual immorality. There was no unity. Friends, this, this is a good thing to have a church that discerns if one bears the fruit of the Spirit not in a mean, condemning way, but in a loving and discerning way that sets apart the people of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must know what kind of lives mark a false Christian. These are non-Christians, that they're marked by a pattern of sin. And for the Christian, it is a, a pattern of obedience, And we want to make sure that those who talk the talk also walk the walk. So beware of false fruit. Thirdly, we see (coughs) in this passage beware of false professions. Beware of false professions. Look with me again at verse 21. (coughs) Jesus says plainly, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I hope that is a sobering account. In verse 22, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These are people that, they did some amazing stuff. Prophesying, casting out demons, and then it says many mighty works, so there's even works that that Jesus doesn't even name because there's just too many. Surely, these are the people that did things right. Surely, these are the people that said things right. Surely, these are the people that preached, that led Bible studies, that went to church every Sunday, that did offerings. But look what Jesus Jesus tells them in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. And in verse uh, 19, we also see again this idea of punishment. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, what happens is cut down, thrown into the fire. Judgment has been made. Notice these people will act and do things for Jesus. But Jesus judges them, casts them to hell. And and why does he, why does Jesus do this? And he tells us, he says in verse uh, 23, the end of it, you workers of lawlessness. So there's a category that you can be doing, reading the Bible, going to church, doing all these things. But you're you're workers of lawlessness. Friends, this is a sobering account. And Jesus, he, he helps us understand that this punishment is eternal damnation in hell. And in Matthew 15, there's a, a clarification that these people, they honor me with their mouths and their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, both the, that, and that's a quote from Isaiah, an Old Testament passage, that, saying that somebody could profess that they know God, but their hearts are unchanged. Their hearts do not see Christ as glorious. Their hearts do not see the beauty of Jesus. Their hearts do not see the amazing work of Jesus. But hear me clearly. He's not saying you will gain eternal life by what you do. And Jesus in his entire sermon on the mount, he he clarifies that Jesus himself in uh, chapter 5 verse 17, he came to fulfill all righteousness. That was Jesus' purpose, to fulfill all righteousness. And what is the standard? Verse 20 in chapter 5, the standard is perfection. And it's this foreshadowing that this perfection is not by you. It's not by your works. It's not by you. It's by what Jesus has done. It's by who Jesus is and his work. And and, and his purpose is clarified in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And he does this, he wins salvation by dying on the cross, taking on the punishment. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he calls all people to repent, believe, obey Jesus. That's how you enter life in the kingdom. And Jesus offers you, if you are not a Christian here, to repent, believe in Jesus Christ. And not only does Jesus clarify what marks this false obedience, But he also tells us what marks true obedience. True obedience knows the truth. True obedience knows the truth. Uh, In verse 24, we see Jesus. He concludes this Sermon on the Mount with his last image. We see this first guy who hears the words of mine and does them. He's a wise man. And he builds his house on the rock. Rain, rain falls, floods come, winds, winds blow and beat. The house does not fall. Why? Because it is founded on the rock. And then Jesus gives the second scenario, the foolish man. In verse 26, the foolish man, he hears these words of mine, does not do them. He builds his house on the sand, and the rain fell, floods came, the winds blew, they beat against the house. What happens? It, it falls. Great was the fall of the house. Do you see Jesus' point? Followers of Jesus will not only hear Jesus' words, but he also does them. But but to take a step back, the implication is that in order to obey the truth, you need to know the truth. Uh, So brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a call for you to know the truth. And we know the truth through God's word, that God's word is the means for how we know who God is what he says, and I hope that, uh, as the psalmist says in Psalm one nineteen, that our hearts would be uh, uh, one of, teach me, O Lord, the way of Your statutes, and that I will keep it to the end. Practically, friends, as we begin the new year in twenty nineteen, I hope some of you may be starting a new Bible reading plan, and I hope some of you guys would you consider to have a plan that is reasonable for what you can do and that you would seek out truth this year, this upcoming year. Not to check off boxes or to finish a plan, uh, but to know God and His truth for the purpose of obedience. To know God and His truth for the purpose of obedience. So I pray that God's word would be a delight to your hearts. So true obedience knows truth. But true obedience also bears fruit. Uh, In verse 17, we see healthy trees will bear good fruit. Those who enter the kingdom of heaven are the one who does the will of the Father, in verse 21. So obedience, that's the fruit of faith. But this obedience is not the root. It's not the source. Obedience is only the fruit of true faith, true and living faith. So entering the kingdom of heaven is by faith alone, In Jesus alone, it's all by his grace alone. And obedience tags along as the evidence of that faith is present. So I hope and pray that when we hear God's word, we would want to obey God's word. We hear the shepherd's voice and as sheep, we want to listen. So to aid us in how how to do this, I hope as we hear God's word being preached week in and week out, that we would select one or two application points for us to practice throughout that week. And consider uh, reflecting on that during uh, the, the conclusion of the service that where we can reflect on the sermon and on the service, that we would reflect on how, how we could be obedient to Jesus the King. Consider uh, at lunch after the service to talk about the ways that you wanted to apply the passage. And I hope... Uh, this will aid in kind of even in your own devotional life that uh, we we'll would be asking questions as we're reading the Bible. Well, yes, I understand this text, but uh, how does this a text apply to the Christian? How does this a text apply to the church? And I hope that's a wonderful exercise uh, for us to kind of cultivate hearts that we would obey Jesus. And feel free to write those down in, in your sermon notes even now to find out ways to apply the sermon text. So Jesus wants us to be Christians that are not only hearers of the word, but doers of it. And James echoes the same thing, that we are to not be only hearers of the word, but doers. And lastly, true obedience professes Jesus as king. True obedience professes Jesus as king. At the conclusion of this Sermon on the Mount, we see the crowd's response. Verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And these scribes were teachers of the law. These scribes were teachers of the law. They they, they knew how to uh, examine the scriptures and teach it to them. But Jesus does not teach it like these scribes. He teaches with this unique authority. And did you notice uh, a switch that he makes? If you look with me, in verse 21, uh, the second half, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then in verse 24, he switches. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Friends, this is, Jesus, the God-man. When you hear Jesus' words, you are hearing God himself. This is his wisdom, his might, his wonderful authority that Jesus is calling for you to obey, to profess Jesus as king from the heart. And we see this in our uh, passage, uh, in our scripture passage, but before we get there... um, As Jason read in Deuteronomy 30, that is the second time of giving of the law, uh, particularly like the Ten Commandments. But in Exodus, when God saves the Israelites, and he saves them, and he gives the Ten Commandments, it is not this mere obligation to obey the Ten Commandments, but it's look at what God did in saving you and rescuing you. Be amazed at that God. Therefore, go obey. And in, in our scripture passage, if you want to turn there with me, Deuteronomy 30, that same idea is happening. It's, it's from the heart, the heart of obedience. So flip back, Deuteronomy 30, that's <coughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament, chapter 30. And, and notice this obedience that comes from the heart. Uh, verse 14. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And Moses gives this call to action, right? Obey Him. Obey all that God has commanded. And then if you drop down to verse 17, this is the danger. Don't, don't do this. But if your heart turns away, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. And it's this heart posture that Jesus in the New Testament cares about. This true obedience that professes Jesus as king from the heart. Because Jesus is Lord over your heart. That is God's concern. And the same two ways to live is given throughout all the scriptures is to either trust and obey God or to reject him and turn to idols. Friends, in all three images in today's passage, the narrow wide gate, the trees, the wise man, the foolish man, the failure to repent and believe in Jesus, the end result, destruction, thrown into the fire, departure, death. All to remind us that this is an urgent call to obey Jesus and live, to repent and believe Jesus. But remember that the promise of those who obey is to enter life into the kingdom. It's a, it's a, it's a call to enter into relationship with God and Jesus as Lord, that you will receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, for we will see Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, face to face in the heavenly city. And with that, let us pray. (coughs) Father God, we praise you that you reign over heaven and earth. And we praise you that you save your people and you sustain them to the end. And we praise you that you are the judge who judges justly sifting out who is your sheep and who is not. You are our refuge, our rock, who is our foundation. We pray that you would help us to obey Jesus. Give us the strength to follow you, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified and magnified in all of our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.